seeking intimacy with God. And you know, I had an interesting uh, uh, thing that happened to me some time ago. Maybe call it an encounter with God, I don't know. I stop in here sometimes on the way home from UPS in the morning. And it was about six months ago and I was just sitting down front here and I came in and I was just praying like I often do. And sometimes, you know, you, you just pray for things in your personal life, praying for things in the church and, and just praying for... <clears throat> For an answer, sometimes you just feel like you just, you're looking for an answer. It's like you know there's something and it just doesn't seem right and you're looking for an answer. And I was praying for a long time there. And I sat here and I got up about four, so I'm sitting here about 10 o'clock and I'm praying. And so I fell asleep for about 10 minutes and I, I wake up. And I woke up and immediately, this is the word God kind of put on, in, on my heart and my spirit. He just said, abide, you know. And I'm like, well, I'm like, well, duh, of course, Abide. And, and I thought about that and what it meant to my life at that moment of that season and what the issue of abide meant and, and how what God was trying to say to me. And then it was really cool because I had taken a Bible from over there and I was sitting down with one of those, I call them the Pew Bibles, and I went and I thought, I'm going to read just read a passage before I leave here or something out of the Psalms or something. I opened the Bible and it, it had a marker in it. And it fell open to John 15, and for those who don't know what John 15 is, this is what John 15 says. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me, and I in him. He it is, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So I walked away that day, and I've held on to that uh, memory for the last six months or so how incredible God is to speak to us and to really reaffirm what he's trying to say to us and this whole idea of abiding in Christ and so the answer that I found so comforting that day and so encouraging that day I think is the answer that might comfort and encourage each one of us this morning as we consider what it what does it mean to abide in Christ. And many times that's the answer in, our, in life. If we're frustrated, if we stop and say, okay, am I abiding in Christ? And what does that look like? Um, we're in this New Year's series here, Pursuit. We're chasing after the heart of God. We have talked about a lot of things so far. We've talked about hope. We talked about faithfulness and righteousness. Last week, holiness. And the thing is, all of those things really hinge on what we're going to talk about today and that's this idea of intimacy seeking intimacy with God seeking intimacy with a holy God we talked last week about this idea of holiness and how God is set apart God is is holy and he's set apart and he has in essence set us apart and um, it's a pretty fascinating thing to stop and think about this God that is so holy and so set apart wants to spend time intimate time with you and me. The key to holiness really is, though, this idea of intimacy. And we mentioned it last week that Moses in the Old Testament would go up the mountains and spend time with God. And uh, he was up there for some pretty long periods of time. But God would come and speak to him as, as a man would speak to a friend and give him, you know, commands and, and, and information and instruction for the Israelites. And he would come down and his face would glow. His face would simply glow. And so the time we spend with God is indeed incredibly important. So here's today's big idea, real simple, but a powerful one, I believe. Before we can do for God, we must learn to be with God. Before we can do for God, we must learn to be 
with God. And we, we need to learn what does it mean to, to have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe? What does it mean to have an intimate, ongoing relationship with Him where I am abiding with Him? I have to learn how to be in God's presence because we have to be if we want to become. And so we think about last week and, and, and li- we're, we're set apart, we're made holy, we want to live that holiness out of our life. How do we live that holiness out? Well, to become more of who I am in Christ, to walk in my holiness, I have to learn to be in God's presence. So let's unpack this idea. And maybe this is an interesting passage, but we're going to go to the Gospel of Matthew today, Matthew chapter 4. Three lessons about intimacy, and then I'm going to give you five practical applications of what it looks like in our life. Um, And this is a great passage that will indeed show us that before we can do for God, we have to learn to be with God. And I'm taking... A little bit of feedback there? Better? Okay. So... um, This passage here, though, in Matthew, I'm going to read the New Living Translation, and I'll show you why here in a minute, just because of the way they translate a word in here. But here's what it says. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. And the the interesting word we want to notice today is this phrase that says, come follow. Uh, The English Standard Bible, the uh, King James Bible just says, follow but the reality is that word follow is two greek words and so the newer translations do use come and follow and both of those words are significant and both of those words when they are put together really give us a an insight that i think is very powerful so here's our first lesson this morning it's simply this god invites us into an intimate relationship with him just know that god invites you and i into an intimate relationship with him come follow me now again we mentioned this last week for the disciples at this time it's a little different than it is for you and i today after the cross after the gospel's been carried out Um, the disciples are called disciples we're called saints we're called holy ones we have been made holy because of the blood of christ and um, so there's a, a, a bit of a difference there but because we've been declared righteous and holy we are invited into the presence of God to have access into God's very presence and uh, meaning we have this relationship with God and we need to develop it we have this relationship this intimate relationship that we can develop with our creator and we need to do that we need to develop that relationship but the the point here is that even at this context the disciples are being invited into an intimate relationship with the Father. So God invites us into an intimate relationship with Him, and the reality is before we can do for Him, we have to learn to be with Him. So three words in in this thing I want to notice, and that first word is come, and it's this idea, it's the personal invitation to come and attach to Jesus. It's not just uh, come to me, but it's come and 
attach yourself to me. When it's taken in the context of the word follow, it's got this idea of come and attach yourself to me. You see, before this is about fishing for people, this is about connecting with Christ. And note as well that Jesus is not just calling 12 men to come be a team. He's calling 12 individual men to come and have an intimate, personal relationship with him. Same same story, different context, different gospel. Here's Luke chapter 5, and here's the same story. This is when the disciples, these four men, we just read about, they were out fishing all night, and they didn't catch anything, and then Jesus comes along and has them uh, uh, cast the nets on the other side, and we know how the story goes. Here's what it says in this story, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him and so just note here that jesus is personally speaking to peter one-on-one there in a sense and saying i'm calling you as an individual to come and have a an intimate relationship with me come and connect with me come and attach yourself to me before this is about fishing for people this is about it connecting with christ about attaching themselves to Christ. Next word here is follow, and the word follow, it doesn't just mean follow me down the beach and follow me into the next town and follow me all around for the next two years. It's the idea of follow me, it's imitate me. It is become like me. That's the issue of following here. It's follow me, it's imitate me, it's become like me. And that's why be is so important because we have to be with God to become like God. We have to be with Christ to become like Christ. We have to, just like Moses, be in his presence so that we would glow with his love and his life. Follow me, imitate me, become like Now just think about this logically. Think about the, the thing that you're supposed to come and follow me and imitate me and kind of learn from me. Think logically. Because they've been fishing for fish, right? Now they're going to fish for people. They're going to need a whole new skill set to go fish for people, right? Fishing for people requires compassion and love and patience and mercy and grace and understanding and also some other spiritual skill sets along, along with endurance. Fishing, fishing for fish requires a whole different set of skills. That's right. <laughs> Eat some bait. So come and, and, and imitate me and become like me and attach yourself to me. And if we take those two words, come plus follow, we get that idea of attaching ourselves or the idea of abiding in Christ. That's the invitation today, to come and find everything you need in Christ. Attach yourself to him. Find your strength and your hope and your help in him. John chapter 15, and, and, and here's the passage, and I don't think I have it on the screen here, so I'm going to read it here. John 15, I read a couple of verses a minute ago. Here it is again. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's this imperative idea of attaching ourselves to Christ if we want to live a fruitful life. Now, here's the problem. Most people have problems in life because verse 5 there, I am the vine, you are the branches, most people reverse the verse. And here's what I mean when we reverse the verse. The Bible says Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. A lot of people, a lot of Christians, the way they live, a lot of the way people live their life is this, is well, we think like, well, I'm the vine and Jesus is a branch. I'm the vine and then I've got, you know, I've got my, I got one branch is my job and one branch is my family and one branch is my hobbies and this branch is my relationship and this branch is Jesus. It's my religion and my church. And, and so it's just a branch. It's totally flipped around. And in that context, Jesus is just a small part of your life. The church is a small part of your life. You maybe you got religion, but you don't got a relationship. But when Christ is the vine, and we are the branch, what does that do? That means everything. Christ impacts every part of my life. He, he, he impacts how I do work, and how I do relationships, and how I do family, and how I do hobbies, and how I do everything. Even my responsibilities at church, everything flows out of Christ. He is the center of my life. I'm not. That is attaching yourself to Christ. That is abiding in Christ. You see, the problem is Christ isn't supposed to be a part of my life. He is supposed to be my life. Christ is my life. That's the whole thing. We express that all the time. So the first lesson, we're invited into an intimate relationship, a personal attachment to Christ, where in my being, I become more like him. You see, I have to understand that before I can do for God, I have to learn to be with God. So here's the second lesson, and it goes like this. I'm called to attach myself to Christ, right? But to attach myself to Christ, I have to do what? I have to detach myself from some other things. And so lesson number two is this. Intimacy requires letting go of certain things. There are certain things in my life, I have to let them go. I just have to let go of them. So they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their fathers behind. And the, the context is real simple, that all four of these men left something behind. They left behind their boats and they left behind their nets. It says they left behind their father, which means their relationships. There were things they had to let go of. There were things they had to detach from uh, in a physical sense and in, in an emotional sense so they could go forward and be attached to Christ you know, the question here really, it really is, if you want to go deeper, if you want a greater intimacy, the question invariably is this, what do you need to leave behind and what are you willing to leave behind so that you can go forward with Christ? Can you imagine Peter running after Jesus, but he's carrying his fishing nets <laughs> and he's tripping all over them because he can't leave them behind? And, and I think lots of times we can be that way. God says, you don't need those fishing nets anymore. Come, follow me here's the exact same invitation from jesus to another man we know this story another great one um and uh, in order to attach ourselves to christ we must detach ourselves from this world and some things in this world here it is in mark chapter 10 and as he 
Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and listen and what? Come follow me. And that's almost the identical Greek, not quite, but it's pretty close to the same Greek as the passage in Matthew. Come follow me. And 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And so you see here in this context that there's, there's this man that he is what? Being invited into a personal intimate relationship with Jesus. Come follow me. Come attach yourself to me. What does he have to do to come attach himself to Christ though? He has to detach from some things in the world and that's really difficult for him. He's got a connection to these things. He's got a security in these things. He's got an emotional connection to some of these things. It's like, I, I, can't, I can't let go of them. And, and then the reality is we would all do well to remember that one day we're leaving this planet and we're not taking anything with us. So don't get too connected to your stuff here on earth. Don't get too emotionally attached to it because you're not going to take whatever it is to heaven. What do you take to heaven? You'll take the character that you have developed on earth and you'll take the intimacy that you have developed with God. You'll take those things to heaven with you. That's it. You're not taking anything else to heaven with you. The intimacy we develop with Christ has eternal value. The fruit that we bear because of our intimacy with Christ, because we abide, we'll take that to heaven. So we could say that really an intimate relationship with God has a value that is out of this world. So, anyway, this rich young, rich young ruler had to let go of some things. The disciples had to let go of some things to come and follow. One of them did. The other didn't. And you can see the end result. And then the third lesson is simply this. The deeper our intimacy, the better our life. And if you just compare those two men again, you compare the four disciples who let go of their fishing stuff and detached, and this richer ruler who didn't detach, who had a better life? Well, one of them left and was very unhappy. Here's the question, really, that it comes down to in regards to this. The question is real simple. The question is real simple. Was it worth it? That's the question. The disciples, we can ask them. So was it worth it? Was it worth it leaving all of your fishing gear behind and taking off on this adventure, getting into this, this relationship with Christ? Was it worth it to leave one life for another? Did your decision to attach yourselves to Christ result in a better life? Some would say yes, some would say no if we asked that question, but what would the disciples say? Here's what I find really, really fascinating. Let's think about this. If you take the gospel out of the equation, the disciples would say no, it wasn't worth it. But you add the gospel into the equation and the disciples would say, yes, it's worth it. Let's take one person. Let's just take Peter, for instance. Take, just take Peter's example. If you ask Peter immediately, in the days immediately after the crucifixion, Peter, was it worth it leaving your fishing business to come follow Christ? What would Peter have said? Not so much. 
what did Peter do? <laughs> he went back and got his fishing gear and said, I got two years I lost I got to make up for. So that's how Peter looked at it initially after. And, and I don't know if they all would have said this, but I think most of them probably would have. They were mostly pretty seriously disillusioned and discouraged. And they were called to come fish for people. And now it's like, what does that even mean, fish for people? I just lost two years of my life. And then it happened. Then the gospel happened. Then Christ resurrected from the grave and the rest is history. And the reality is, for you and I, it's really true. The gospel makes our surrender to Christ worth it. Because, because if you went and you asked the disciples, was it worth it? They, they answer that question for us. They all answer, answer. You know how the disciples answer the question, was it worth it to detach from the world and follow Christ? They answer it with their lives. When they gave their lives, when Peter was crucified, upside down, a martyr for Christ, he was saying, it was worth it. And this is what is so fascinating to me. You have a lot of people today that will say, well, Jesus isn't God, and he didn't die for sin. He was a good teacher who promoted love and social justice, and, and he died He died on a cross maybe to identify with those that are, that are you, know, so, you know, treated unjustly, and, but he's not the Messiah of the world. They'll say that, right? And what's really fascinating to me is in the three or four days or the few days after the crucifixion when that's all Jesus really was he was reduced to a good teacher who yeah he wasn't God and you know he didn't die for sin that's all he was reduced to Peter and the disciples were like yeah it wasn't worth it the minute Christ resurrects from the grave and says no I am God I did die for sin I am the Messiah all the disciples are immediately like sign me up for that I'll give my life for that I'll die for that it's beautiful. It's, it's so fascinating to me. It's, it's just an amazing thing. The gospel really makes our surrender so, so worth it. Crazy as it may seem, the disciples who attached themselves to Christ and ended up martyrs for the gospel all would say they had a better life than their contemporaries. They would say their life was better than the rich young ruler who walked away with great possessions, very sad because he could not detach from the stuff of this world. That's the reality. In summary, it kind of looks like this. The deeper our intimacy, the stronger our relationship with Christ the deeper our intimacy the higher our purpose and the deeper our intimacy the greater our fruit all of those are true when you build a deep relationship with Christ just take that middle one the deeper our intimacy the higher our purpose is there a greater purpose in cleaning fish or changing people's lives what has a greater purpose what yields a greater fruit and here's the thing, even if you're not called into a life of full-time ministry, even if you are a fisherman, you can still fish for people. Even if you are a carpenter, you can still build people's lives and, and build people's families. If you're involved in the healthcare industry, you can still go out and care about people's spiritual health. And if you deliver pizza for a living, you can still go out and give people the bread of life and nourish them with spiritual food. You can do that. He gives our life a higher purpose when we detach from the world and when we attach to Christ how beautifully amazing is that a young boy named Jonathan was trying to learn the Lord's prayer he learned by listening at church each Sunday on one Sunday as they were praying the Lord's prayer he could be heard above all the others praying our father who art in heaven 
I know you know my name. <laughs> he didn't get the Hallowood part, but that's what he heard. I know you know my name. You know what? God does know your name, and he knows our name. He knows us intimately and has invited us into a personal relationship with him. He has. We need to know that. And that takes us to a second proposition this morning. Going to get a little more practical. Here's five quick examples of what this looks like. Developing a deeper intimacy with God. Five ways to develop it. Number uh, A here. Number A, like that. Uh, To develop a deeper intimacy with God, we have to learn to be honest with God. To develop a deeper intimacy with God, we have to learn to be honest with God. With God, What do I mean by being honest with God? Simply learning how to express to him exactly how you feel about life, about your circumstances, and even about him. Can you tell God how you feel about him sometimes? Can you just be honest? And we worship up here and we say this is how we feel, we worship him, but other times we don't feel that same way. Psalms 22, 1, my God, my God, David says, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And here's David being just, just gut level honest with God, with how he feels. Hey, where are you at? You've, you've forsaken me. What's fascinating is that this is exactly what Jesus quoted on the cross. On the cross, Jesus said the same thing. Both David and Jesus were honest with God. If Jesus can be honest with his dad and say, Dad, where are you? I'm, I'm kind of hanging here. I'm kind of dying all alone here. This is, this is really hard. Where are you? We can be honest with God. Sometimes we need to be honest with God. I feel abandoned, I feel forsaken, I feel forgotten, I feel unloved. I'm crying out to you and you refuse to answer me. You ever felt that way? Be honest with how you feel. And here's the thing, God already knows how you feel, so it doesn't do any good to kind of hide those feelings and stuff them inside. It doesn't. And can I give you an observation? That when we do stuff those things inside, when we don't resolve our our anger, even at God and those feelings, I think it can do damage to our relationship. It can do damage to our intimacy. We need to learn to be honest with God. Just picture it this way. Let's say... Let's say you have a wealthy father and he's in his 70s and he's a billionaire and you're in your 40s and you're in your 40s and you come down with a really serious health issue, right? And so you go to your dad, this billionaire, and say, Dad, I got this really serious health issue and there's this special treatment. It'll, it'll be really expensive, but it'll probably save my life. And, you know, could you maybe help me out here financially? And what if your billionaire dad just kind of seemed aloof, kind of ignored you, kind of didn't really answer you, And you'd be like, did you not hear me? Do you not care about me? Are you saying no? How could you say no? I'm your son. I mean, we don't have the best relationship all the time, but how could you do that to me? See, that's how you would feel. And your best uh, answer to that is to be honest with your dad and say, Dad, what's, what's going on here? I say that because that's kind of sometimes how it is with God. We go to God with our issues. We're going to a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, always wealthy, a constantly loving Heavenly Father. And when He doesn't seem to answer us, we're like, hey, time out, you're God. What are you doing here? I'm kind of hanging out here. I'm kind of in trouble. Don't you care about me? And that's being honest with our feeling. We need to learn. Now, here's why you need to be honest with your feelings. Look at this one. Psalm 142, 9 through 11. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief? 
Oppressed by my enemies, their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. And here, here's the thing, you ever felt like God has forgotten you? God didn't care, we've all been there. But here's the thing about being honest with God. I think being honest with God helps reaffirm our hope in God eventually. Eventually we come back around, we're just honest with God, we just talk to God, and before you know it, we're saying, you know what, God is all-knowing, so he must know what's best in this situation, he must know what he's doing. God is constantly a loving God, and so whatever he's doing, he's doing in the context of his love. When we're honest with God, we, we talk to God about these things, he helps reaffirm the hope that we ultimately have in him. You want to develop a deeper intimacy with God, you have to learn to be honest with God. You also have to learn to basically repair the brokenness in your relationships as best you can, as best you can. Because there's a simple little truth out there is that my relationship with God is tied to my relationship with others. It's throughout the scriptures. I'll give you two quick verses here. The Bible basically says that how we treat others is how we treat Him. If we love Him, we will love our sisters and brothers. Matthew 5, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Just kind of seems to think that God can't really receive our worship or we can't offer our worship when there's friction in our relationships. We need to deal with it. Another example, 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Here it seems to say that there's something between us and the way we approach our wives and understand our wives love our wives, can affect our intimacy and our prayers to God. Again, we just see two examples here of how our relationship with God, our intimacy with God is affected by how we relate to other people. Here's a third one. This is a, this is a good one here. To develop a deeper intimacy with God, deal with the sin in your life. And this, there's some, a couple of powerful things I, I have to, just have to say in this. This is really amazing if there is some pr sin present in your life, don't ignore it, but deal with it. This goes back to being honest with God, about being authentic with God, just being real with God about who you are. He here's the thing, I was thinking about this, that if we're pretending with God, we're most likely pretending with ourselves. or if I'm not honest with God, I'm probably not being honest with myself. What do I mean when I say that, well, there's a great example of this in the Bible. It's the King, it's the king David. It's the man after God's own heart himself, King, da king David. And, and here's King David's story, is that King David had this thing uh, where he had this great moral failure. The man after God's own heart had a moral failure, committed adultery, uh, had, had a child, covered it up with murder. And you might sit there and say, how can, that how can the man after God's own heart have such an incredible moral failure? Well, this is why, right here. And what happens in the story, if you know the story, is that God sends Nathan to him. Nathan comes to David and tells David the story about a rich man who 
had all this flock of lambs and had a guest come over and the rich man went and stole a little pet lamb from his neighbor, the poor man, and used that to feed his guest. And he tells the story to David and David is immediately outraged. He's just really outraged and wants justice in the story. And that's when Nathan turns the singing indictment around and says, David, you're that man. And how did David respond? David's like, he broke down immediately. Because he knew. He knew. He, he wasn't being honest with himself. He wasn't being honest with God. Pretending like everything was fine. But he knew. That's why immediately he breaks down and he's humbled. And then he dealt with his sin, which is what we're called to do. And so there's this great passage in, in Isaiah chapter 1 that is another invitation from God to come and deal with your sin. Just let me walk through this real briefly here. Isaiah chapter 1. Here's, here's the issue. God is dealing with, with Israel and their sin problem. Okay, but we can certainly learn from some lessons here because all of humanity, even us, have a sin problem. So listen to this exchange. Isaiah 1, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So he's basically saying, you got a sin problem. Your hands are full of blood. They're full of sin. You've wronged me. It's affecting, it's hindering our intimacy. It's hurting our intimacy. And that's what sin will do for you and I. Verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before your eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And he comes out and basically says, stop sinning and start doing what is right. Of course, before we can do, we must be. Wash yourselves and in some senses, as we read on here, we'll see that's an impossibility, actually. The terminology that Isaiah uses that actually, they really can't wash themselves clean. Verse 18 then, here's the invitation. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Here's the invitation from God. Come, let's deal with your sin problem. Let's settle the matter. And this is not an invitation to start or begin the process. It's, it's the invitation to come and know that God and only God can wash you clean and only God can take care of the sin problem that exists in our life and in our relationships. That's the reality. Now, when Isaiah wrote this, the gospel has not yet been fulfilled. So he's speaking prophetically about the future. The permanency of sin has not been dealt with at this point, but the cross will make that a reality. So he's speaking to Israel about what God's going to do and what he's doing temporarily through the sacrifices. And he's speaking to you and I as well 2,000 years later after Christ. The work of Christ on the cross is finished and, and there is a fascinating invitation for us to come and settle the matter. Now, verse 16, he tells them to stop sinning and to wash themselves. Again, as I said, they can't wash themselves clean. Their problem is a hopeless problem. Now, what's fascinating here in verse 18, what's fascinating is there are two words used for the color red, for sin. And this is what I think is so fascinating. And it harkens back to um, verse 4. Our sin problem is twofold. Here it is, Isaiah 1, 4. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with a burden 
of guilt. And that's, that's the two aspects of our sin that's an issue, the sin and the guilt. And so here is what Isaiah does, and this is the best uh, interpretation I heard. Of. I think this is a fascinating interpretation as I studied this out. We'll start with crimson, okay? Crimson, it's that which is a natural red. And crimson deals with the act, our sin. There's blood on your hands. You have committed an act of sin. You have committed an act of sin with your mind or your hands or your feet. That's the act. That's the crimson. The scarlet represents that that is that that is dyed red. And this would be referencing the stain or our guilt. The stain or our guilt. Of sin. And, and the simple reality is, is that what Christ does at the cross is deals with both the act of our sin and the guilt of our sin. Let's say, for instance, you had a grudge with someone for a long time, and then that person comes down with some illness, they get cancer or something, and you're convicted, you know, I need to deal with this sin, and I need to deal with this grudge, and you go and forgive them, and you get rid of the grudge. And they die a couple weeks later, and then you live with the guilt of the grudge because you, you feel guilty because oh, I should not have had that grudge for all those years. I should not have had that. We need to let go of the guilt. Don't just let go of the act of your sin. Let go of the guilt. Let go of everything. That's what Christ does. He takes care of the act. He takes care of the guilt. He washes away a stain that we can't wash away in our own. He washes it away with the blood of Christ. Fascinating thing here that Isaiah likens our sin to what? To blood on our hands, the color red. And how did Jesus wash us clean with his own blood? Just a beautiful, beautiful story there in Isaiah chapter one. Know today there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. To develop a deeper intimacy with Christ, deal with your sin as well as the stain of your sin, the guilt. A couple more verses here and we will be done today. To develop a deeper intimacy with God, we have to learn to trust God even more. Here's another invitation from God, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, come attached to me. Come to me. It's the same principle at play in this verse here. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from me. Imitate from me. Come. Attach yourself to me. Find the strength that you need. Trust in me. Don't trust in the stuff of this world and the security of this world. Trust in me. And you will find rest for your souls in a very weary very weary world. And finally, to develop deeper intimacy with God, we have to patiently give it time. Just be patient and just give it time. Pretending um, or getting frustrated is never the answer. Listen to a, a testimony of two people here. Here's Paul's testimony. And this is fascinating because the Apostle Paul wrote 13 to 14 books of the New Testament. Paul, who had personal, vis- visit, uh, uh, personal visions and revelations from God. Paul, who chased after the heart of God for 25 years. And I've shared this before, but listen to what he says. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. After 25 years of chasing after the, the, the heart of God and preaching the gospel and, and building churches and, and, and just, here's what he says, I, I just want to know him. I just want to know him. If you want to develop deeper intimacy with God, just be patient. Just be patient. Just know that you're building intimacy more and more and more all the time. And, and how about Peter's testimony? 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter says just grow. Just grow. Takes time. Growth takes time. But just grow. And you know what? Growth actually encourages growth. That was Paul's testimony. That was Paul's testimony. The more we come to know God, the more we want to know God. The, the more we come to know God, the more we realize how little we really know God. He's just so incredibly majestic and mysterious and, and beyond our human comprehension. The more we get to know Him, the more we realize how little we know Him and we hunger for more of Him. You want to build a deeper intimacy with God. Just be patient, give it time and realize that day by day, by day you are growing god is calling us into an intimate relationship where we attach to him and detach from the things of this world there are some things we have to let go of to pursue christ but the deeper our intimacy with god the better our life on this earth and before we can do for god we have to learn to be with god so to build deeper intimacy learn to be honest with god repair the brokenness in, um, we need to repair the brokenness in our relationships. We need to deal, to deal with the sin in our life, both the act and the guilt and the stain. We need to learn to trust God more. And we need to be patiently, patiently, patiently give it time. And there are some powerful questions there that you can walk through on your own today and just get alone with God get some intimate time alone with God and walk through those questions and just say Lord what do I have to do so I can build a deeper intimacy with you here's why it's so powerfully important if then I'll be happy psychologists tell us that our brains tend to mispredict what will actually bring us happiness. We assume that if we achieve certain things in our life, we will find happiness. I'll be happy if I get admitted into the right school. I'll be happy if I find the right partner. I'll be happy if I make vice president. I'll be happy if I have my dream house. As Harvard psychologist Sean Acor observes, this if-then perspective cannot be supported by science because each time our brain experiences a success, it moves the goalposts of what success looks like. If you got good grades, you have to get better grades. If you have a good job, you now have to get a better job. If you hit your sales target, now you have to raise your sales target. If you buy a home, now you want to have a larger home. If, then I'll be happy. And we need to learn the, the simple reality. The thing that will really bring us happiness is when we can detach from this world. We can emotionally detach from, from our possessions and when, when we can just let go of some of those things in life and we can attach ourselves to Christ and find everything in Christ and if I find Christ, then I'll be, if I build intimacy with Christ, then I'll truly be happy. If I can let go of 
my sin and my guilt and, and my trust in this world and lay everything on Christ, then I'll be happy. Just ask the rich young ruler or ask the disciples. They both made different choices and you know who was happy and who wasn't. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you that you love us so much. And, and you know each one of us in this room, you know each one of us individually by name. You know each one of us like no one else does. You know all the secrets in our life, all the hidden frustrations, all the broken dreams, all the, the burdens we carry. You know, you know everything. You know things about us that nobody else knows. And you love us like nobody else loves us. And you're saying, come. Come, attach yourself to me. And I'll heal you. And I will hold you. And I will uplift you. And you may not always understand me. You may not always understand what I'm doing. You might get angry with me sometimes. That's okay. Come, attach yourself to me. If you do, then you'll be happy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.